This is a Media Lab podcast. Ah, oh, nuts, Dave, you won again. How is it that you're so good at playing hearts when you've never played it before last week? Well, I just, I really like to, I don't know, actually. Do you just put this card down? What does this card mean? God, yeah, this- what? Yes, that is exactly what you're supposed to do. Hmm. All right. Well, I guess I'll just put this little uh, tick up here on the wall here again. That's 795 to two. I'm almost geared for a comeback, I think, Dave. One step at a time. All right. I know I'm, I'm almost thinking that I've forgotten my name being here. I'm lost. Uh, why would you forget your name? I don't know. Maybe it's like I've been sucked into a spirit world, and the only way to remove myself from said spirit world is to remember who I am. Hmm. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. So, what next? Whoa! I didn't even know the machine could walk. Did you install legs, or is that an I upgrade? Didn't. This hmm. is a, a bit vexing, I'm going to say, Dave. That's a good word. Hi, idiots. I see that you haven't killed yourselves in the past week. That's too bad. We're very far from Earth. I saved you from a different apocalypse. One that I didn't create. That's too bad. Until we can start our return, you're going to talk about films in the top 250 on Letterboxd. So strap in. All right, Dave, I guess I guess we're still reviewing movies. Well, at least uh, it sounds like we don't have to do bad ones. What's up first? Spirited Away. Oh, better than message in a bottle. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films the machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This This is is Kyle Kyle and Dave versus versus the machine. I'm so glad that this podcast setup has actually just been provided here for us by the machine. So welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the machine. My name is Kyle. Do we know our names? I, I've remembered it now. You're free. I'm free. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Bad news. I think it has happened. Uh, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Uh, currently, due to technical difficulties, we are now stuck in this small circular room filled with technology. And today, we're going to be watching the film Spirited Away. じっとして裏のくぐりとから出られる外の階段を一番下まで降りるんだそこにボイラー室の入り口があるここでは仕事を持たないものは湯婆婆に動物にされてしまう湯婆婆愛はすぐにわかるここを仕返している魔女だ
you know, go back to a more positive and inclusive place. Hey, uh, Chris, do you have like a couple hours just to spend uh, watching the movie Spirited Away with us? Yeah, why not? <laughs> what? I'm so glad that our guests are so willing just to come along with this journey. Um, I should just point out, too, before we go too much further, a big thank you to our patron Green Girl YYC for helping us over on our Patreon page. Uh, really helps out. Uh, see the different things that we're posting over there. You'll actually, we've had nothing but time here this week, but at the end of this episode, you'll hear actually a preview for our talk on existence. If you want to go existence, and existence, existence, existence. Yes. Exist. Is that it? It's no. a, it's a, it's a film that we did watch and we, we talked about it briefly. Uh, we, Pleasure. I think have to answer a few different things here, folks. I think we need to talk a little bit about our history with Miyazaki films in general. Uh, and then maybe this film in particular, Chris, why don't you start? What is your history with the Miyazaki oeuvre? Oh man. So I've been, I have let animation and anime into my home, like since I was four, maybe. So it, I was no stranger to uh, the themes that came up in Miyazaki movies, but it always quite, it hit quite differently. I think there was always this sense of mystery and danger when I was going to watch a Miyazaki film. Cause you know, they were introducing these like brand new worlds and something was always a little bit off and I was uh, a little bit scared of it as a kid. And I was also just drawn in. Yeah. Ooh, a little, little double entendre there, a little drawn in. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, what is the first Miyazaki film you watched? I think, I think it was Spirited Away. It was. Okay. Yeah. I, I like how you termed it though. There it, it being a little bit scary in my opinion. It's just one opinion. I always think that that's my favorite type of animation. Uh, the ones where it's like, yeah, I'm enjoying the story. But as a kid, I was like also a little scared and terrified of. It was something about that like push-pull. I felt safe, but at times like, ooh, this is a little bit too scary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, do you recall what you thought about Spirit Away the very first time you watched it? It was so beautiful. Um, I was definitely scared. I definitely watched uh uh, Chihiro's parents turn into pigs and I, I think I ran out the living room because like right. I needed a moment but then like I started seeing like a lot of charming things you know it's like it's like looking at a really ugly pug at first you want to kick it out of the room uh, but then something about it charms you you know <laughs> interestingly enough that is exactly what I thought the first time I met Dave so Dave <laughs> um, what is your history with Miyazaki um well, I was introduced to anime by my buddy Juwon, and his older brother was more into mechs. Oh, so nerds. So I can't remember the first time I watched, like they, they had like Totoro, um, you know, paraphernalia at their house and stuff like that. But I didn't watch a Studio Ghibli film probably mm-hmm. until Princess Mononoke. Were you watching any anime before then? Oh, yeah, no? yeah. yeah okay. But the, I mean, kind of like Chris brought up, you know, Miyazaki films have their own flavor. Uh, so, you know, when I'm growing up, I'm watching, I don't know, Robotech, Ghost in the Shell, stuff like that, Black Magic, like things that were, they're not available on the streets. You have to know somebody that knows a video store somewhere in the <laughs> yeah. 90s. Uh, like a, a guy in a raincoat who has to open it up and be like, hey, do you want some anime? Yeah, a bunch of old VHSs with like yeah, exactly. Sharpie. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they were all brought in somehow. So it's either um, there was a video store on Bloor Street in Toronto. I can't remember what it's called anymore. Black something. Or you'd have to go to a Chinese uh, video store where they had illegal VCDs, illegal uh, imported VCDs and things of that nature. Or because I had uh, Korean and Chinese and Japanese friends, they seemed to have procured it, even though I had no idea. Yeah. how I would get my own. I think Mononoke came out first and that was a major, yeah. major the- theatrical release. So I don't think before that I had come across any other Ghibli movies. I could be wrong. I have since really grown to attach myself to the Studio Ghibli pantheon. Yes, in, in Canada, we have the benefit of them all being on Netflix, which is really uh, Almost nice. all, yeah. Almost all of them. Of yeah, the there's a couple that aren't due to rights things but yes in canada that is actually not true in the united states as far as i understand it they are not on netflix 
Yes, it is on HBO Max, which which is not the same as HBO Go or HBO. So it's really great messaging from the HBO company. So I don't know if I've told this story before. I when I was in high school, you had a choice of a language you could take. Now, a lot of people took French, of course, because we grew up in Canada. I decided I wanted to take Japanese because they actually had a Japanese teacher from Japan (laughs) there on this two-year term and so i tried to learn japanese over two years failed miserably at it but i (laughs) i still took it as my elective and i can still write my name in japanese and that's about as good as i can do it one of the lessons that she did was showing us a miyazaki film so the first introduction i had was totoro uh, my neighbor Totoro, um, and I, I remember it clear as day, honestly, watching that as a 16 or 17 year old kid and that coming on and you have like the weird little dust mites and the cat bus and it's, I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it was just so fundamentally different than American animation at the time. There's like, I'm so like transfixed. Yes. But it's like, I don't really know what's going on. Um, <laughs> and then Getting more and more into film, of course, like Miyazaki is brought up a lot, like referred to as uh, Japan's Walt Disney. Auteur. She's in the mm-hmm. auteur behind mm-hmm. it. So I kept hearing about this, uh, about Spirit Away specifically. Spirit Away was like this big touchstone because it was, uh, I think it was on, I want to say it was on an episode of Siskel and Ebert. Don't quote me on that. But I remember them talking about like, this movie is outgrossed Titanic. Like it, it was like that big over in Japan. And like, that was such a huge thing. And so I wanted to see it and wanted to see it and eventually did in actually university. And it kind of just like totally blew my mind about, about like what a animation could do, but just a different way to tell a story. And then since then, I basically watched almost all of Miyazaki's films. So some of the early stuff that I have not seen, but pretty much any of his stuff from the early nineties on I have. <laughs> I, my favorite probably is Princess Mononoke, to be pr- perfectly honest. Uh, there's just something about that film that I love watching just over like and over again. Bloodworms? Maybe it's the bloodworms. Could be yeah, the bloodworms. Yeah, the worms. <laughs> that one scarred you. me a little bit. Yeah, it is a <laughs> little bit. It's disgusting. Um, I will say, too, it does have, as we all know, it took the Academy Awards so long to honor Best Animated Feature. And so this mm-hmm. is the second mm-hmm. year that animated features were honored and spirit away was was the one who won best animated feature that year mm-hmm. um and then i believe until uh, until present day is the only anime like uh, yeah a- anime film possibly to win. nominated yeah there is a small group of animated features that weren't made by disney or pixar that have won the yes, oscar it's very small and Spirited Away is one of them. And Shrek is the other. <laughs> so, yes, it's it's a kind of amazing. Shrek's pretty good. Yeah. Shrek's yeah. Right. It, it, it won the inaugural award. I always think that's so funny, though. It's like <laughs> Pixar is seen as like this like thing about kids and adults could love. And it's like the one with fart humor is the one that wins the first animated feature award. I like Shrek, too. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be summoned here for Shrek uh, time. That's right. Some, some Shrek stand is going to come at me. Smash Mouth is the best American band from the last 30 years. Fucking Smash Mouth. <laughs> uh, okay, let's do this. Uh, I want to delve into this film, obviously, but we have to watch it first. So I'm going to go thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking a little bit more about Spirited Away. Hey there, everyone. Just Kyle breaking into the episode one more time to tell you about some of the people that help make this show continue to go. I'm telling you, sitting here in this weird bunker-like structure with only Dave to, (laughs) you know, while away the hours with. It gets to you after a while. I think I might be getting a little bit of cabin fever, if you know what I mean, in that I think I have scurvy. I should tell you, though, that Kyle and Dave versus the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community-supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. 
In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your energy from. Park Power has low overhead, and chances are you'll save money if you switch. You can find out how much money you could save by visiting parkpower.ca and plugging your numbers into the Alberta Energy Savings Calculator. If you decide to switch, it's easy. Nothing changes about your service, only the price you pay. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This episode of Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation. Whether it's funding anti-racism programs, addiction recovery, or food hampers for the hungry, for 65 years, the Calgary Foundation has proudly supported the charitable community to address some of Calgary's biggest challenges. Now, during this period of unprecedented urgent needs, Calgary Foundation renewed its commitment to building a healthy, vibrant, giving, caring, and resilient community. If you're a registered charity looking for a grant, a professional advisor creating a giving plan for your client, or a donor wanting to give back to community, discover a wealth of resources at calgaryfoundation.org and learn more about their work through Calgary Foundation's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. So I think great use of our time, but Chris, in Mm -hmm. the most non-spoilery way possible, uh, what were your impressions this time seeing Spirited Away? I think that um, watching it this time after kind of studying animation, I was impressed about like how much they could hold back until, you know, the spectacle happened. It, it felt like little little bundles of mystery and they would they would hold you and th- there would be answers that uh, you couldn't, you know, see behind the veil until they pulled it back and there was a bunch of wonder and uh, adventure. I love it so much. It's so great. Um, I, I, should, I think we actually really blew past this. You uh, do work in animation. So I think that you do have a great insight to this. Yes. Um, <laughs> versus Dave <laughs> and I who uh, admire animation but have never actually done it in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I um, I went to school for animation. I've been uh, in the industry for a couple years now. It is blasphemy to um, speak ill of Spirited Away. And I will not be doing that. <laughs> That's right. Who hasn't done some light blasphemy in their life? Dave, how about you? Was there anything specifically that you uh, noticed this time watching it? It's a great movie. It's beautifully crafted i think this is still an era where it was 95 percent hand uh drawn or 98 percent uh well uh, correct me if i'm wrong chris you might know this better mm-hmm. at least in miyazaki directed films is there any 3d or is it all hand drawn they do a lot of compositing okay with computers i know that Notably, uh, miyazaki's film ponyo is a film that he wanted to make be uh that's like probably the highest degree of like uh, keeping computers out of the equation right. uh, since uh, it became kind of prevalent in the 90s. You, uh, the, there's a scene where, um, where Chihiro uh, like is running through like a bunch of flowers and then you can kind of see the layers of uh, right. it coming through. That's something you could only do with computers unless <laughs> unless you want to waste a lot of time i guess i also loved uh i mean with that in mind one of the things that struck me as i've gone through the pantheon of um, miyazaki films is the idea of hand animating everything so each each frame's moving you know there's no mm-hmm. static moment it, that's one of the most beautiful things i started noticing this time is uh often particularly in the older and particularly with serialized tv shows you have to cheat a bit because I mean, there's just too much to do. So uh, anything that might have movement typically has a different texture or a different tone. You know, there are little uh, cues, but this is a movie where there's a, almost a sense of perfection. The whole thing is moving uh, synchronously, is that a word? And, um, mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, it's something that I've been noticing with great directors of human films. Um, <laughs> when you can build energy into shots it just creates a uh, uh, particular for fantasy general uh, genres it just gives this beautiful uh, sweeping sensation where i really got caught up in it visually i mean uh, of course we are going to it's the whole you know beauty of anime but uh, so I thought it was incredible in uh, animation there's this concept called 
uh, limited animation and it's techniques that are made knowing that, you know, there are only certain budgets. People have a certain amount of time to make an episode for an animated show. So there are shortcuts, right? That you have a still background, you have characters kind of standing uh, with the life sucked out of them until their time comes. And then, you know, they're staying still, but maybe their mouth flap is moving uh, open and closed. That's how you describe Kyle. <laughs> hey, I'm supposed to do the one-liners here. But there's also, um, uh, there's limited animation, and then there's full animation where people get, like, usually it's where the budget kicks in, where they're like, we want people's breath to be taken away here. Um, and th the motion will be fluid, there's multiple elements moving synchronously <laughs> but uh, one thing i like about miyazaki's films is you would assume that these moments uh, where everything is fluid would be like a fight scene or like a thousand explosions happening miyazaki spends a lot of his budget perfecting really quiet moments um where i i don't think a lot of people would have the eye or the patience to just sit there with you and and take a breath and look at like a, a a field of grass swaying you know it's very quaint and beautiful that's what that's what i noticed too a lot this time it, and maybe i'm just noticing it too the older i get the filmmakers who are confident enough to be like we're gonna like actually sit in this moment for a bit uh and having like absolute quiet uh or stillness at least in the frame without having to feel like you're rushed to get to the next thing. It's like, no, we, we can actually sit, sit in this uh, for a while. Uh, for, for me, I was actually on this rewatch struck by actually how quickly they get into the story. For some reason I had in my mind, it, it's a bit in the human world more than it is, but mm -hmm. it's like they're in the car, they get out of the car, they're walking into this like abandoned, um, area and then it's like right into that spirit world and that's what's the rest of the movie for basically the next you know 90 minutes and i also noticed the music a lot more this time too i actually downloaded the album right afterwards like i really like this nerd. background music Ooh. that they're they're making Such it's great <laughs> it was said at the time of its release so this is not something new that i'm bringing to this but it this is very much deeply influenced by alice in wonderland to the degree that I actually started noticing even more things from that original story that are like direct analogs of. I mean, there's a, a, a doorknob scene which happens in Alice in Wonderland where it becomes alive. Um, and I honestly thought that the, uh, I guess the main witch, I don't know if that's what her actual thing is or is described as or what her power is described as but if you look at that and like the original illustrations from alice in wonderland she basically looks exactly like the uh queen of spades queen of hearts uh, the queen of hearts thank you the queen of hearts that they have i was illustrated wondering in why those. you want to play mm. that game uh, uh, they, no it's just you know, it's like hearts all right it's those kind of direct analogs and it, i think it goes off in a very different direction than that original story I think what I'm most struck by is what both of you have been kind of talking about is that the experience of watching this film is simultaneously both soothing to me uh, and, and that little bit of, of terror for our main character, our, our protagonist of trying to, I know that I want her to escape and I still also mm -hmm. want her to have all these different adventures of these interesting characters that keep coming in at her to the degree. And I think this is probably a, cultural difference that i might just not be picking up on this is going to sound more of a criticism than i mean it to be but i don't think that this movie necessarily is about anything in the way that say like princess mononoke is very deeply into like environmentalism and, and that sort of kind of uh storyline i don't know what this movie is or if this movie is even interested in trying to be like we have a point that we want to try and bring forward. I don't really care at the end of the day, but it is interesting that I find that a lot of Miyazaki's films are very deeply rooted in something that he's very interested in and has a specific um, point of view that he's bringing to it. And I don't really see it much in this one. And yet it's one of my favorite ones that he's done. So I don't know what that says <laughs> overall. I think it's very personal, right? Like it's about a girl who 
her direction in life is kind of swayed by what her parents are doing. And she doesn't really have her own voice yet. It's such a vague theme, right? Like finding your your direction. Um, right. But I think that's why, like, it's so fun to see, like, how varied her adventure can be is like, it's it's there's no grand mission. There's no MacGuffin other than, you know, get your parents back. But a lot of the time she just kind of is directionless. So we right. kind of like follow her just living life without knowing what to do. It's it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, he's consistently like in over her head. Like, I don't know what's going on. Luckily, the entire audience is the same way. Like, I don't know what's yeah. going on either. So, like, let's just go with this type of thing. Why did they turn to pigs? Uh, why yeah. is she turning invisible unless she eats something? Who is that right. crow up in the sky? There's so much weird stuff <laughs> happening. Who is this handsome man who is feeding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Who doesn't want a handsome man just feeding them all the time? <laughs> I, I feel like the beginning like you're talking about how it rushes in isn't when i left the movie i thought there's an element where like many many stories there's a question of morality so uh, more not morality what do you call it like a vices Mm -hmm. so you know to chris's point when they're in the car and she has no say whatsoever just even the first turnoff going into a a wood, woodland road and he becomes this emboldened asshole and he's just like speeding down. He's like, well, I got the four wheel drive, so fuck off. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, and then they find this hole in a wall and he's like, we're going in because he's just got this pride and this thing. And and she knows she has an intuition that this is a big mistake. Uh, and is it any wonder that they become pigs? I think I'd make a good pig. And I think uh, it is fascinating how her character goes from this passive, fearful person to this uh, through trials and through uh, suffering that she, uh, to your point, Chris, like she becomes uh, a human being. I think one of the themes with Miyazaki that I think of is so many of his movies are about, uh, they tend to be with children, but girls uh, finding a place where they fit in. Because he, as it turns out, is a fairly progressive guy, particularly for Japan, which has its own cultural issues. I don't know how Japanese you are, Chris, but uh, you know, Japan's got some issues and uh uh, some denial, we'll call it. Yep, and yep. Uh, <laughs> um, So I think it's fascinating. It, the other thing that's culturally interesting, like the way you brought up, Kyle, is uh, watching a lot of anime. And we talked about this with European films. I think the sensitivity from Puritan America makes us uneasy quicker. So like just that slothy part where they're turning into pigs, it's visceral. Um, but I'm not sure in any other, you know, culture, whether they would be so offended by it. I could see people actually in America walking out, uh, in that scene, especially nowadays, people are so sensitive to everything, but, um, I think it's powerful. I think it's incredible. It scared the shit out of my son. We tried to watch sure. it last year and he ran out of the room mm-hmm. just like you talked, but he was five. So he didn't come back. <laughs> no, he didn't want any part to do with it. But, uh, did, did he also not have like a, pretty deep reaction to santa paws santa paws <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i was you know when we were screening i was thinking maybe this year he'll watch it I'm, no he's not ready i mean that's there's some stuff in there that's not i mean it's pretty dark there's a fine line between fascinating and scarred yes. for life <laughs> in children's media Oh, that's um, why we're here. We're scarred. I'm really excited to get more into talking about this film. But before we do, let's do some background information. So Spirit Away in Japan was released on July 20th, 2001. However, outside of a few film festivals, it did not get a wide release in North America until March 28th, 2003. So uh, if you did watch it, its initial release, you would have only seen it the Jap. By the way, did anyone watch the dubbed version? or? I, I I watched the uh, original Ooh, Kyle, language version. Putting your uh, yeah. Japanese yeah. class to use, huh? <laughs> That's right. Subs not dubs, man. Subs not dubs. I I think I actually have that T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is rated eight point six on IMDb, ninety six on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes. From 188 critics, it's at ninety seven percent, and from three thousand. Sorry, from 337,020 users, it's 96%. That does officially make it the highest rated movie we've talked about on the show. Wow. From all of those different sources. <laughs> its budget in 1999 was $19 million. 
it opened, this must have been a very small opening, it opened to $449,000. Just to put this into perspective, so in only America, it grossed $15 million, not a huge box office in uh, 2001 or in 2003. But internationally, it made $258 million. Wow. So overall, it made $273 million. If you adjust that for inflation, that would be like a movie making $401 million today. So it made a lot of money. Take that, Shrek. <laughs> Take that, Shrek. Uh, its plot description from IMDb is, During her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen 10-year-old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, and where humans are changed into beasts. So that is the uh, official plot mm. description. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think it is so hard to put a label or synopsis on Spirited Away. It's about so many things. I know. It. I, I agree. It's like, what is it about? It's like, oh, yeah, like it's a girl who goes into a spirit world, but that's not, that's like the setup. That's not really what it's about. They haven't gotten to <laughs> I the think they should have... Haku. They haven't talked about Yubaba, the uh, spa that's right. owner and witch. Uh, so much. They should have just done the usual suspects thing where they say, uh, a girl and her family walk down a tunnel. That's right. I like <laughs> that. <yeah. laughs> I like the, I, I like the uh, four-armed man. He's really fun. I just like the ducks. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. There's ducks in the, in the, in the hot tubs. They're so great. Um, Cause you know, they get down. Like ducks you look at them it. and it's like, they yeah. are partying all night. Now I'm going to totally, mispronounce everyone's name and i apologize but this stars rumi haraji as chihiro slash sen mm-hmm. mia arino as haku yep or haku you got it. Uh, and then <laughs> and then mari natsuki actually i think it's matsuke like something like that mari natsuke as a uh, yubaba or slash zeniba zeniba brilliant <laughs> zeniba um <laughs> so dave and chris do you want to say anything about those actors and actresses like we do oh, at this yeah. point in the show. Yeah. Uh, I did look up what they have done mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. then. Um, uh, Rumi does a lot of animated kids' voices, I think, if I remember correctly. And then uh, the person who does Yubaba is a very prolific actress who's now in her 60s. Mm. Um, and it does animation, live action. She is still working today. I don't know them. And I think that's a good thing. I right. I remember it being refreshing. Like there was a period and I think it's still kind of lingering where all people wanted to do to advertise their animated movie was go, hey, look, it's Haley Joel Osmond or, you know, like uh, Zendaya's in this one, guys, watch this, you know, and uh, it's kind of annoying yeah. to me. I don't know. I, I know it draws some parents in. I get the idea of familiarity being a big draw but i don't like it i i, I agree like-, like when i i mean i can only say like growing up for the vast majority of animated films like aladdin would probably have been like the exception because it's like robin williams is so well known but beyond that it was like i don't know who does the voices in animated films i never looked it up or really cared to find out and then yeah it was like in the by the late 90s, early 2000s, for like a 10-year period, it was like, it's Will Smith as a fish, or it's like, this person is this thing. Um, and I think that's why I've, I enjoy Pixar a lot, because yes, they're getting like famous people to do it, but who in their right mind in 2004 thought that Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres were going to have the number one box office film? Right. Like, no one was going to go and watch something that those two were. I in. didn't know who Tim Allen oh, was then- when I watched Toy Story. You sound young, Chris, because... <laughs> Everybody knows it. No, um, I don't want to know who Tim Allen is. Is that helpful? I think this coincides too with the uh, uh, erosion of media culture in the United States that they start uh, having to have trailers that reveal the ending. Hmm. You know, I think that there's a pandering aspect where these huge uh, companies, production companies, need to guarantee that they get however many million people out to these astronomically priced uh, theater seats. Um, and stops being about selling good mm-hmm. stories, like as we see with Disney, uh, they have no fucking, uh, they have no integrity anymore. It's just 
garbage remakes with uh, celebrities, and they're all shit. And uh, Dave, I yeah, every I single to, one of them. I seem to one. recall though that they have fifteen Star Wars series coming out. So I don't know if they're out of ideas. <laughs> I mean, they have I fifteen shows. I tried my shows. best to boycott the Mandalorian, but uh, I'll admit it's pretty good. But. <laughs> Perhaps something has changed in the week that we have been away from Earth, but uh, we don't have to worry too much about that anymore because uh, theaters don't exist anymore, Dave. So. <laughs> I was actually talking to my wife this morning about that, mm-hmm. about the end of the world as we know it. How are you talking to your wife when we've been sequestered in this? Holograms, obviously. Oh, right. Yeah. You knew about these holograms? Um, this was, of course, written and directed by Hiyayo, gosh, Hiyayo Miyazaki, uh, and this was after his first retirement. I like to make that point because there was a time where it seemed like after every film, he said, like, I'm done. I'm not making another film. And if I remember correctly, he said that after Mononoke, like, I'm retired. I'm not doing another film. Then came back and made this film. And then I'm pretty sure he said that after every single film he's made. One more like, and I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Mic dropping, man. You got to drop the mic. Yeah. But if we're going to talk about his work uh, as a writer and director, then, of course, we have to talk about My Neighbor Totoro, Kiki's Delivery Service, Castle in the Sky, Porco Rosso, Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle and Ponyo. Uh, his last film was The Wind Rises in 2013, uh, where he retired for, I believe, the fourth time, but is coming back with How Do You Live? Probably in 2022 at the very earliest, wow. with the description of... The psychological growth of a teenage boy through interactions with his friends and uncle. That is what the, his latest film will be about. <laughs> Watch it be about something else completely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> if it's not ducks, I'm not going to go watch it. But uh, I'm just looking at my notes. You know, when you asked me earlier about Miyazaki, you know, my first Miyazaki movie was? It was what? Nausicaa Valley of the Oh, Wind. really? And I yeah. watched it when I was a kid, and I really liked that. Um, that's the one that's where most a, people don't like it. So that's a weird as fuck movie too. Yeah, that's a beautiful movie. And Lupin, Castle of Cagliostro. But I, I don't know if I watched his film because there's one million anime manga. Yeah, I well, the just, Lupin like character character. seems to be something very beloved. I, I guess mm-hmm. I like because there was a TV series. There's been a few movies made. I think they're making there's a, a new... 3D movie version of that, isn't mm-hmm. it? Have you seen the Netflix trailer? France made one. Oh, France made, okay. Called Le Pen. Yeah, it looks actually, it looks pretty good. It's the guy from The Untouchables, Intouchables. Oh, really? Uh, Mm. Yeah. I just saw Uh, the trailer. I mean, uh, not that we get trailers in a spaceship, but... uh, But if you were, it's on Netflix. If I was watching a lot of Netflix, (laughs) I may have seen the upcoming trailer. We should ask your robot for Netflix. It may already be released. Yeah, we should ask, hey, can we get Netflix? Sure, but it's on a one light year time delay. We have Netflix now, Dave. In the stars, that's the question. Robot. No, <laughs> yeah. no stars. <laughs> Identity theft is no laughing matter. Uh, I guess we need to some more. I get we can spoil uh, anything in the movie here now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm going to throw this open. Chris, is there a favorite moment that you have? I think the um, scene with No Face is really it's it just kind of sticks to me. I think and. Which one? <laughs> um, can I say like everything with no face kind of sticks? With everything me? with no face, um, sure. Especially with like um, Sen or Chihiro so- saving the day through kind of like compassion. I don't think that sort of solution is that common, and it, it plays off beautifully. And I-, I don't know. I warmed my heart. There's something that I've become increasingly passionate about, and. Uh, people are probably going to label me as being naive or overly optimistic, but there's this uh, growing sentiment about when you look at like wealth inequality or the deep divisions we have with class in North America, I'm talking in general, but all over the mm-hmm. world. Whereas there's really only one way to kind of break that chain is like, it's to give up your own power, which is hard to do, I get, but it's like, if you make that decision it's like i don't actually want to have let's say all this pot of gold of money and that's not what drives me i i want to push that away as much as possible that's a powerful thing that you can do and your you know integrity to do it but you also are lucky enough to have that even be an option for you is really really what i'm trying Mm -hmm. to say uh but i see this film is kind of supporting that and that's like I'll give you money. It's like, I don't want money. That's not what my main driving force is here. I, I want to help my friend and you know, overall want to have my parents back and stuff. But 
I don't know. There's something to that, that, that the drive here is not for monetary gain or even like direct gain for her. She is, she is being driven because she wants to do something nice for somebody else. That is what her driving force is for, for this movie. And I think that's just really interesting to watch. You know, going back to my idea that there are strong vice themes, I got the sense, you know, that no face was, um, her insecurities. So it's people pleasing. It's this cowardice and she only faces it towards the end of the movie. And so, for example, the idea that greed or gold or trying to make everyone around her happy, uh, would have value. And she's got to find that voice that, uh, actually gives her power, which is that I don't need to do any of this stuff. I just need to stick with, uh, what I really believe in. No face is a weird character, man. I, uh, like just the mutation. Well, from yeah. A benign, you know, a benign bridge haunting mask. <laughs> well, that's what I love about slime this. eating fucking. I know. Well, what I love about the movie is that it feels like it's such a benign and benevolent figure at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Or, but I should say, it's just a benign figure just like observing things. And then once no it comes into the it. bathhouse, it's just like, oh, it kind of gets corrupted mm-hmm. and it becomes so gross. Like when she gives it that, like, little, what is it, little half ball thing that she feeds it. And it's like just puking out this like, yeah. <laughs> like icker of disgusting stuff. It's just like, yeah, no, you, you, you have to sometimes for, for me, it's like sometimes you have to face your internal darkness and it does feel like you're puking up disgusting mm-hmm. stuff to get past to the next step. Yeah. Right. Um, you're losing. And it's like a visualization of that idea. Mm-hmm. She gets the moss ball from saving the river God. Uh, in spite of her fear, right? Like right. there's all this great metaphorical uh, script and imagery of how she can earn the ability to, I think, save herself in that moment. Um, I like that part. If you want to talk about environmentalism, uh, when she's pulling the plug and you think maybe he's just stabbed and it turns out to be re- human refuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. That's uh, a pretty strong point, you know? It's kind of a, a quick fuck you to uh, commercial commercialism and uh, consumption. He's got a lot of quick fuck yous to a lot of things. I, I just like thinking after all that stuff is just sitting there, it's like, man, who has to clean that up? It's probably the frogmen, which is probably not a very... Oh, they don't clean. No, oh, it's, they don't it's clean? the women. Yeah, it's the women, gotcha. unfortunately, yeah, in that world. <laughs> I'm on record that I support child labor. I want to talk maybe a little bit more about the the idea like that the humans coming into the... Uh, the spirit world, because I think, of course, that's like the inciting action. And what's what's the boy's name again that I'm now? Haku. Haku? Yeah. Is that what's his Haku? That's what we eventually find out his name is. I, no, no, that's that is the dragon's name. name. His that's full right. name is very long. Yeah, it's very long. I couldn't tell to you. Something. I, I like that interplay. I guess really what I'm trying to say here is like what I've always in, enjoyed about other, we'll call them like myths and legends, is that the gods always seem so... Um, valuable and you know if you read like greek myths and stuff like that like all of those people are like the worst possible entities in the <laughs> world um like they're not like put up on a pedestal being like these are great things to adhere to which doesn't really happen i find in the western canon canon because you have like like the god that people worship and like he's a light and he's the perfect being and all that kind of stuff and here you have people that are literally gods like river gods and dragons and witches and they're all like some of them are petty some of them are good some of them are embarrassed like there's all this stuff that's going on it's like oh that feels like a much more lived in real world and so fun to play around with uh rather than maybe the limitations of some other nations um deities yeah (laughs) chris might know this better but the japanese religion you know not just shinto but their cultural concepts of what gods are and the kami and how they interact with human beings is fundamentally different than western ideologies never mind judeo-christian ones Mm -hmm. and if we want to make this a four-hour podcast i can i can go off kyle we can talk about it if you want but uh i mean the basic belief is like everything has a spirit in it right like that's kind of i had some people in japan tell me like you have to finish your rice every time because there's every little uh little rice um What's the unit of rice? What's a rice unit? Grain. Every grain. grain. They, a yeah, grain of rice. Every grain has a little god in it. And if you don't eat it, you're displeasing them. Little stuff like that. 
I I have displeased so many gods <laughs> in my lifetime. Well, that's why we're cursed here in the West. <laughs> we're not doing so well, man. Yeah. I, I do have to say, there's a point where uh, Chihiro is fed like this little triangle rice thing. Onigiri, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it makes me so hungry. I really want to eat it. <laughs> Just go to Japanese store. They're so good. <laughs> and get them filled with different things. Yeah. Tuna, meat, sugar. Ooh. Good old rice. So you can have like a savory and then a sweet one right afterwards. That's perfect. The one, the one thing I thought was funny watching her eat that, and this is such an anime thing, you know, when they get really hungry and they chow yeah. down, oh, if I yeah. put a mouthful of rice, uh, I have to drink something because uh, <laughs> it's it's really hard for me to, like, I love rice, but I always love animation where, where you which you can shovel 40 pounds of rice into your mouth. I, I wish I could do that. Just put more things in my mouth. I'm, I'm again, I am just a very idiosyncratic person. I've had deep conversations with previous roommates about the consistency that I like my rice in because I actually do <laughs> like it a little bit more wet than I than uh, dry. That's I've heard that about you. Yeah, I'm a very wet person. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I started this off by saying that I don't think this movie is about anything. But do you agree with that? Disagree with that? Or do you have an idea that you would throw at me of what this movie is trying to say? I think it's one of those movies where it's themes are not spoken loudly it's conveyed in ways of like in just the way that characters act without speaking about it i think it conveys a message of like kindness and um reservation and um uh like characters act with compassion uh people are rewarded for um kind of not wanting uh like anything grand but acting in kindness for others is rewarded i think it's like promoting without overtly stating like a way a person should be how about you dave do you have anything no i i think that's it i, I think that any good story has a moral center not a moralizing one so i think that we get a reflection that everybody in the movie who suffers is somebody that has given themselves up to some vice you know some type of greed even as as chris was talking about uh, the japanese spirituality you know how interesting is it now that i look back that when they pull out all the garbage out of the river god those are all objects that have been thrown away that have been treated poorly um mm -hmm. that were not respected and they're choking out the natural spirit of the world. I, I think there's, um, I think those are beautiful themes that that Miyazaki's able to throughout his career to present beautifully, not just as art, but in a way that uh, anybody, whether it's nerds like us who actually are, you know, with a notebook trying to pull it apart, or just somebody sitting in a theater and passing through ninety, to, you know, hundred twenty minutes and leaving. You're gonna get you're gonna get an intuition that there's something spiritual, uh, not just about spirited away, but any good anime experience. Um, there was an old theory. I don't think this holds true anymore, but they used to say that uh, the concept was. I mean, Chris can correct me if I'm wrong, but to create as generic a face as possible so that the viewer could put themselves into the story. So when you're watching an animated movie. Um, the the Japanese uh, sort of process was to make the backgrounds and all of the environmental things as beautiful and perfect as possible, but the characters would be very simplistic so that when you're watching it, you become uh, part of the movie. Whereas typical historically American animation is the opposite, where they you, um, Disney is kind of 50-50, but you generally have a, a shitty backdrop and then you make these like very ornate comic books like this, very ornate. Every every Marvel X-Men's got to have a different fucking wrinkle on his nose. Um, but they become very separate. Yeah, um, and I, I've been noticing with them, it's changing a little bit, but... Uh, I think like that's interesting. There are stories where bold characters leave an impression on the world and... I think a lot of Miyazaki stories have characters where the world is a character itself that is leaving an impression on, like, for example, Chihiro, right? Ah, good movie. That's a good point. I mean, I mean, I, th I think what I also take away from this, the, the characters that are presented in this film are either our protagonist who is like, has these, we'll say like, neg well, quote unquote, like negative traits that she's kind of working through and eventually gets past but everyone else also has like two different sides to them right like you probably it seems like this gruesome like uh 
awful woman, but she has this deep love for this like giant baby person <laughs> who is in her care. And then the first time we see her twin sister who who arrives, she is presented as being like this evil witch character, but is actually a very kindly and matronly woman when Chihiro finally meets up with her the very first time. And you see that I can't think kind of going through the whole thing where there's these good and bad parts of people. I don't even want to say good and bad. There's just like these like, you know, uh, things that, that, that take their attention and don't take their attention, things that they uh, are trying to focus on and things that they don't care about. And that is what I think it's all wrestling with is that there's these things underneath the surface that if we don't probe enough, we would never see that. But uh, that this movie try and prioritizes just like the stuff we, you know, out of sight, out of mind, throw away into the river and think that we'll never see it again. Well, that is impacting someone further on down the line uh, in very much the same way as if you're a people pleaser, you might be doing something that's positive for you right now, but it's actually a kind of a negative impact further on down the line. But it is never explicitly said. And I think that that is probably what makes me so enjoy this film is that it isn't being pedantic or like, this is what we're trying to say to you here. It's more like, hey, we're presenting all this stuff to you and you can kind of just pull out what you want when you need it sort of thing. So yes, I agree. Great movie. <laughs> I just read uh, The Odyssey and Emerson's got a In the original Greek, I'm assuming. Well, in a direct translation of the prose, I, my one criticism is that because it's direct translation of the poem, every fifth fucking paragraph is about them eating and drinking to their full. It's like, like I get it, there's a cultural thing, but if I have to read one more feast, one more goddamn, like it's You it's won't exhausting. like me to say this, but I felt that way in Lord of the Rings sometimes, <laughs> where it's like, yeah, I get it, you're eating food. <laughs> uh, but at least they had hobbits, so the characters, yeah, yeah. Are, you know, want six meals a day. But uh, now I'm just being defensive. I um, so then Emerson's got. I bought him this book. It's like uh, myths from around the world for kids, mm -hmm. um, and it's illustrated. It's a great book. But he's really tied into uh, Hercules, Heracles. And I think that all the great stories are like this, where there's dimensionality. You know, you mentioned how the gods in all of these old mythologies are not the so-called good, singular, Judeo-Christian. I mean, this is it any wonder why we're so corruptible now? Because that's yeah. such a bullshit idea that there's a being. Um, well, I, I mean, was going to ask you, I was gonna ask you is, is one of those myths from around the world uh, capitalism working? <laughs> yeah. Well... No, because that's it's so impossible. It couldn't even be an ideal. But <laughs> no, but you know, he gets some of it, right? When he reads a, a small paragraph about Hercules outsmarting uh, something or wrestling thing because of a, a play on words, there are lessons, you know, that don't need to be about punishment. Say amen. There he goes again. Sweet and undefeated in an awesome 10 for 10. All great stories are like that. Little I, I little think, mini of moose bush of uh, morals. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's better than someone fe force feeding you. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and just talking about the animation too. Like, I think we've talked about some of our favorite scenes and stuff like that. But there's two moments I love, uh, which is them, uh, her flying on the dragon coming back um, and then like falling to the ground. There's just some beautiful work that's going on there. And for the quiet moment, I love, love, love the train ride. Oh. Because again, that's such a common filmmaker to be like, we're going to spend like this, like a minute and a half of them just sitting on a train and they're just going to their destination. They don't feel like they have to cut that directly because it's like, no, we want to be in this moment of her being like a little bit trepidatious about going of where she's about to, to end up sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I just have a quick trivia thing we skipped over, yeah. which is, uh, they had apparently Studio Ghibli created a no cut, no edit policy for distribution in the States because uh, when they released, I can't remember which movie it was, it might have been Nasca, but the studio decided that American audiences just wouldn't get it and they re recut the entire movie. And so Miyazaki's like, well, fuck you, that'll never happen again. When we do Ghibli, there's a contract if you're going to distribute it, it has to. So apparently uh, our favorite producer, Harvey Weinstein, was the guy that was going to release, is it this one? Um, and he sent back notes that it needed to be recut. And apparently Ghibli response was send him a, send him a samurai sword and say uh, no cuts, which I think is great. Because uh, if anyone deserved to uh, get a threatening gift, it's probably Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, that's like reminds me of um, Bong Joon-ho who was also working with Harvey Weinstein. I don't think it was on Parasite. I think it was the one right before that, um, which I can't remember which movie that Snowpiercer? was now. Yeah, it might have been Snowpiercer, actually, now that I say that. 
Harvey Weinstein says, like, you have to cut this scene. And he's like, I can't cut this scene because the fish in this is so um, special to me because my father was a fisherman. And this is like a tribute to my father. And he's like, oh, well, family is the most important thing. Of course, keep the scenes like my father was not a fisherman. <laughs> he just lied so that he could keep his scene in the movie. And I, I think that's so funny. <laughs> Why do production companies get? Well, I mean, you need an editor, but uh, I would l- <laughs> Harvey Weinstein should not be making decisions. I'd love a collection of stories, just a, an omnibus of people sticking it to Harvey Weinstein. That would be <laughs> yeah, a perfect be so good. Christmas gift. We're done here. Well, the machine has told us that we do have to wrap up here. So I guess we should ask our like, kind of favorite question then on this show, which is like, does this film hold up? And do you think it's still culturally relevant? Uh, Chris, what are your answers to those questions? <laughs> yes, I, I think it holds up. It is a testament to good animation and um, patience and care being put into uh, making animation. And also, I think it's kind of, it's, really subtle messaging is more important now than ever interesting to me though i don't know if you have a a, an outlook on this chris of why do you think it seems like north america has made that switch so hard into 3d animation and i'm not here to bag on three i love a lot of 3d movies but it seems like like Japan, but like Asia in general, is still so much invested in the 2D animated film. No, like, do true. you know why that I, is? I mean, I think there's a stigma right now, right? So, like, I think the only um, studio in America that can produce animation and adults will go see it is Pixar, right? And they make CG animated movies. There is a certain spectacle to, you know, we have powerful computers that can make realistic scenes. And uh, American audiences want that, like, you know, the bigger firework, you know, the more explosions. And so I think a lot of them are drawn to the spectacle of CG a little more. Yeah, it's just it's just fascinating. I mean, because there's a video you can watch on YouTube about basically Miyazaki saying, like, I am never making a full 3D animated feature because it's like, what does he say? It's something like this is like this is an abomination of animation or something like that. It's like, I will never, <laughs> I'll never do this. Which by the way, Ghibli is making a 3d animated film though. So who, who knows? Well, he isn't. He's oh, yeah. not though. Yeah. Hopefully someday someone will render me. Uh, but Dave, do you think this still holds up? Do you think it still has cultural relevance? Yeah, of course. I agree with everything Chris said. I, I think that these are one of those few f- films where people, it should be mandatory. <laughs> If I were the ruler of the earth, and we know that's going to happen, um, people would be chained to a desk and uh, they would clockwork orange this shit so that you'd have to watch it. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's, it will stand the test of time. I mean, the beautiful thing about fantasy when it's well executed is uh, it transcends the idea of what's important in a visual or spectacle sense. So like in 40 years, if we watch any of your MC, your Kyle MC universe movies, I made them uh, specifically. They yeah. might uh, date a little bit, right? Uh, if we're in a world where everything, I, whatever the imagination. So if we're in a minor minority report world where everything is like AR and VR watching, you know, Scarlett Johansson roll around with a, with a handgun and, and chop like that might actually feel old one day. Oh, I think but it will. You, I think that's, there's no doubt about that. You you see that even uh, with films that were well made in the late '90s that we that we watched. Like ooh, like at the time this felt like modern, and now it absolutely does not. I think animation does have a little bit of a leg up in that regards because you can watch animated films from the '70s that still like don't necessarily feel like they were made in the 1970s. I won't say every single one. Well, I just watched Castle of Cagliar- Cagliarostro. Yeah. Um, and, you know, anime from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it's, it has its own style. So it, sure. some of them doesn't age very well, uh, but the stories are great. And I think there's a reason why that manga is now being produced again and again and again. I mean, that's a great story. It's fun. You know, who doesn't like a good heist? But I mean, I was just saying, like, to your point, whereas I don't think that every single MCU film is going to hold up in 30 years, oh. um, I'm planting my flag and saying that Spider-Verse might. Spider Verse is yes. great, right? And it's but it's an animated film, okay. Too, so I want to know what you guys think is gonna be the most dated in ten years of all the MCU films. Well, Thor: Dark World will be in the in the shooter, <laughs> yeah. so that's just garbage. The uh, Thor film, the Thor films, I I actually think 
don't really hold up much now, <laughs> even like 10 years after they were made. So there's there's that. Um, to be honest, if you look at all of them, for, for me, it is the lesser ones. Like the Iron Mans, I think there's still stuff there that can work. And then the first couple is all practical effects anyway. So you don't even yeah, have to worry about like the amazing. special effects. <laughs> but I find like the Ant-Man films, the Thor films, to the first couple at least. Um, what is the other one? Oh, the Hulk, like the Incredible Hulk. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. people are going to be watching those. The The Iron Man, the last two Captain America films, um, even the Avengers films, I think people are still going to have some Can I, love uh, for. Can I say something that might be a little controversial? Sure, let's of do course. it. That's why we're here. I don't, I like Winter Soldier. I don't think yeah. it's going to hold up in 10 years because it's so tied to current events. Or it will be even more or, relevant in the future. I don't know. There we go. <laughs> We're going to have to wait and see what happens. Well, they- <laughs> That's the hard thing. Is like There's some movies that are so prescient. Mm-hmm. Like um, I, I remember, and this is on me, and I had, there were so many critics at the time that said that, but that movie Contagion that Steven Soderbergh made, mm-hmm. and be like, I feel like this is like, they're having people act really weird. Like no one would ever do this if there's a real contagion happening. And guess what? It's exactly how everybody acted when the contagion happened. Oh, no. <laughs> like, uh, you know what I mean? So uh, I think I, I still don't really love that movie a whole lot, but still <laughs> you can see how things have become relevant over time mm-hmm. when they feel like they're so like off base when they're first made. I think one of the biggest fundamental denials is that we want to say that fiction is what's impossible rather than a story that's designed around actual experiences. You know, uh, how much of current technology is based off of Jules Verne being uh, like a total, probably on LSD or some psychedelics. And now we're like, well, we've got to make this shit. Well, and he I said mean, it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what happened with Star Trek. You yeah. talk to anyone who were in development for like walkie talkies, cell phones, all that kind of stuff. All that stuff was made because they were Star Trek fans. And they were like, we want to make this stuff when we grow up because that was cool when we saw that. There's a hoverboard. It's yeah. shit. Nobody has one, but someone built one. <laughs> but someone made it. Yeah. Um, anyways, so that's what Dave and Chris and I thought about Spirit of Way. Uh, but what do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterbox page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. Right now, you'll actually see two lists going on. One that is for the movies of 1999. One is that uh, the films that we have watched of the top 250. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast up here in our bunker, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. And you can support for as low as $1 per month. Uh, Of course, we do not want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. And something you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Now, I always feel bad when we have a guest on. Chris, your rating doesn't matter. Darn it. (laughs) If you were to give a rating to Spirited Away out of five, what would you give Spirited Away? I would have to say five. It is. It is. Every time I watch it, there's this feeling of you have to remember this. And I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's not my favorite movie. I'll say that, but like, right, it just right. feels like it has. It's like a a core movie. Yeah, five. Dave, how about you? Yeah, five. Yeah, I don't know. Well, well it's, it's going to be it's going to be fives across the board because I'm going to give it a five too. Which means that yes, it is going at the top of our letterbox top 250 films uh, of all time, at least the ones that we have watched so far. Um, Quick question before yes. we have to turn off the projector for Chris. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the machine I think is going to overheat here uh, any second. Which animal do you guys uh, connect most with? Oh, the ducks for sure. Like in general or? Right? <laughs> the ducks are the best. I love the ducks. If I could be any animal in the world, I would be a platypus. So it's kind of like a duck, mm. but also You'd a mammal. you have to lay some eggs though. I just... And because I'm a male, I would actually have a poisonous uh, talon on my hind foot. So, fun fact about the platypus. So, I guess we're going to have to find out what we're watching here next week. I, I, uh, machines asked me to push this button. 
Oh, we're going to have to spend some time here, Dave. Next week, we're watching The Godfather Part 2. Ooh. I have seen Part 1. I've actually never seen Part 2 before. So this is actually going to be... A new Sorry, did you say me. you've never watched Godfather Part Two before? I, I, in the in the spirit of our fiction, I have never seen the Godfather Part Two. How are you running a movie podcast? I don't know. It's uh, people have asked that for many many reasons. Well, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us here, Chris. I guess I should ask you here too. Uh, if people wanted to follow you, see what else you are up to, uh, how can they do so online? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it was very fun. Uh, if anybody wants to see what I do, I do animated uh, music videos and storytelling on my YouTube channel, Tanimato, T-A-N-I-M-A-Y-T-O, Tanimato. Great. And if you don't know, uh, Chris also designed our podcast artwork. So yes, he has, uh, <laughs> I did. has a great hand for uh, just illustration, but animation uh, as well. Just a quick, quick question, yeah. Chris. Yeah. Did you watch Wolf Walkers? I just did. Oh, my God. <laughs> I loved it. I, so good, right? I, I have not seen it yet, but I've heard nothing so but good, good things. Apparently, we're getting some great animated films this year because there's that and yes. Soul is coming out uh, pretty soon. Or actually has already come out when you're listening to this oh, right. episode. Yeah, Both of great. these things are we out just already. <laughs> <laughs> Animation is pandemic proof. So. Dave, I guess uh, we should still continue playing this game stay strong boys how many cards bye <laughs> oh the projector's failing yeah. oh shit um wait a second are those like uh, queen of spades cards that are up your sleeve isn't that how you play the game you son of a bitch i think i'd make a good pig Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine, Patreon exclusive. Ooh, pew, 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 pew. Today we're talking about existence. Uh, Dave, what's your history with this film, if at all? I, uh, I, had a fa- Oops. I had a phase in high school where I thought it was cool to watch some cool Canadian films. <laughs> so what options did you have for well, cool canadian well, films yeah uh, one we talked about the most probably red violin uh this film oh get oh, stop uh, it <laughs> you and the red violin of all movies uh no was, guys you gotta you gotta see this it's about a violin that goes through the centuries what was the other one uh, that don mckell uh fuck don't i mean don mckell has been a bunch i loved way downtown, way downtown. uh that was a fun movie what, what was the one there is hard something, hard night, hard something. Yeah. It was about a band. And then there's that famous one with, is it the schoolgirl stripper? No, what was, there was another one. The Sweet Hereafter Sweet is maybe the one you're thinking of. And then, anyways. Know, the Adam so I watched this. Basically, any Canadian movie has to have at least Don McKellar, Sarah Polly, or um, uh, Callum Keith Rennie in it. And all they're all in this one, and they, which is fine. And it has to be really fucked up. Because apparently yeah. Canadians aren't as nice make... and polite as you want us to so, be. <laughs> over over on my bookshelf, actually, this is from university. They gave us a textbook called Weird Sex and Snowshoes, all about Canadian film. Because it, that's basically a lot of Canadian film. It has weird sex in it somewhere, and it's usually somewhere in the snow at some point. It's how we do. That's and, just how yeah, we do yeah. out here. I mean, what else are you supposed to do when you're snowed in half the fucking year? 